following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw, for our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. That brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written. The righteous will live by faith. All right, that was Romans 1, 16 and 17. Galatians? Paul, an apostle, sent not from men, but by a man, by, no, sent not by, from men, nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me, to the churches in Galatia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some of some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse, as we have already said. So now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you the gospel other than the one what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. All right, thank you very much, kids. All right, so that's Galatians 1 and, Galatians, and Romans 1. Um, will you pray with me as we get started? Father, I just thank you for the opportunity that you give us to gather in your name and to come together to worship you in song and to worship you in your word, Lord. I just pray that you'll speak through me and let your Holy Spirit speak through me. And let your Holy Spirit work in the hearts and minds of the people who, who hear this this morning, Lord. And may your will be done in all things. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we get started, I wanted to lay out just a general overview of why the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Galatians. And the basis for which Paul wrote this book, this letter, was to address uh, Christians in Galatia who were preoccupied with keeping the law, as well as trying to live out the gospel. And so they were divided as a church on these racial lines between the Jewish people and all of those non-Jews they referred to as the Gentiles. And there were people that Paul says were teaching a gospel within the church that was not actually the gospel at all. And he says the gospel was under attack by people who were preaching this different gospel. And for me, the central focus of the book of Galatians is summed up in Galatians 5, verse 6, where Paul says this. He says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value, because the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. And then Paul builds on that, on that theme throughout the book of Galatians. And Galatians 3, verse 13, Paul says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. And then verse 28 of chapter 3, he says, There is now neither Jew nor Gentile, 
There is now neither slave nor free. There is now neither male nor female. And what he's referring to is when it comes to the ranking of people within the church. He's saying there is no separation, that we are all one in Christ Jesus. And so his most basic point here to these Christians in in the church in Galatia was to stop the divisiveness and stop trying to force Christians to live under the law of Moses. And then he says, basically, start focusing back on Jesus Christ alone again. Because the only thing that really matters is our faith in Christ expressing itself through love, through love for one another. And the kids read for us the first 10 verses of Galatians 1. And I want to just look at Galatians 1 verse 6 where Paul says, he starts out his gospel message here and he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. Paul is uniquely positioned to understand what it is like to attack the gospel. Because the apostle Paul himself attacked and persecuted those Christians. He attacked the gospel. He tried to rid the world of the gospel. And he stood by and watched Christians be persecuted and put to death. And may have participated in that himself. And so Paul understands, perhaps better than everyone else, what it was like to attack the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is why he so passionately and kind of aggressively starts out his letter to the Galatian church. Because now, rather than attacking the gospel, the apostle Paul has become one of the strongest defenders of the gospel message. And so he uses this strong and confrontational language to the Galatian church. I'm astonished that you would do this, he says. He's confronting those who are trying to distort the gospel message, which Paul says is no gospel at all. Now, a lot of the converts within the church in Galatia would have been Gentiles. They would have been non-Jewish converts. But the majority of the people, at least in the beginning of the church, they would have been Jewish converts. They would have been Jews who started to believe also in Jesus. And some of these Jewish believers were teaching that the gospel Paul and the other apostles taught was insufficient, that it was not the whole and true gospel. And so they were saying that this gospel the apostles brought was really incomplete because it didn't also include the Mosaic laws. And they were insisting that these Christians would follow Jesus and follow the Mosaic laws and rituals. And as a result, Paul had to write this letter to the church in Galatia to challenge this false teaching. And so that kind of gives you a general context for why the apostle Paul wrote this letter to the Galatian church. Now, let me start to transition our thinking away from that first century church into the 21st century church. As I'm sure you're all aware, the abortion debate has exploded onto the world scene again. Now, I'm not going to stand here and talk about the abortion debate. But for me, the issue of the abortion and everything that came onto the world stage with that has simply served to highlight for me something that I've pondered for many years. And that is, what is the role of the church 
And what is the role of individual Christians within the context of the world in which we exist? You see, our nations are socially and morally complex, aren't they? They're often corrupted by the brokenness of this world. And there are rarely any easy and satisfactory solutions to a world that is dominated by selfishness and greed and power and the desires of the flesh. But as fellow believers, Jesus has called us to bring, a, to bring a new and different perspective into the world in which we live. Yet it's far too easy for us to get caught up in the ongoing societal discussions and arguments and debates and disagreements about these issues. And so it's easy to get so fixated on these debates that it starts to, to, it starts to become difficult to distinguish between the attitudes and behaviors of the followers of Jesus and the attitudes and behaviors of the unbelievers. But as Christians, we should not live in the delusion that we can fight these issues with the same mechanisms that the rest of the world uses. You see, we often look at these issues through the lens of the physical world, which Scripture refers to as the flesh and blood world. And I know the news media and the social media, they want to break these issues down into a binary choice between two opposing sides of people. But Scripture tells us there's something more going on with this disagreement, with these dis disagreements. That these issues are not just disagreements between two sides of people. Our struggle in the world, the Bible says, is actually not against flesh and blood. It's not against one another. It's against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That there's something bigger happening here. And so the moral decay and the corruption and the brokenness of our society is not going to be fixed through political solutions. We will never see hearts change for Christ by creating or removing laws in our lands. God has already taught us in Scripture that law does not fix sin. No law will fix the brokenness in our world. Our world needs to be transformed by something much different. And as long as we are wrapped up in fighting the world systems by means of the world systems... We will never advance the purposes of God. And in the world of politics, every issue that the church has fought against for the last 50 years has actually gotten worse. And as the people of God, we have lost our influence in society. And as the church loses influence, there becomes a greater need to start trying to institute more moral laws. But the reality is, if people were living more like Christ, you wouldn't need the moral laws. And so legislation is not going to transform hearts. It's the gospel. The gospel is what fixes moral issues in society. And the gospel cannot be legislated. The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ comes to us by his grace and his forgiveness, not through the enforcement of moral laws. And when the gospel infiltrates the hearts and minds of the people, that's when transformation takes place. But my fear is that the gospel has not even infiltrated the hearts and minds of many people who attend church on a Sunday morning. And so the question we must ask ourselves is this. Has the gospel impacted our lives? 
Has the gospel impacted my life? Has the gospel impacted my life to such a degree that it changes and transforms the way in which I live my life? That's what the gospel is meant to do. I want to tell you a story. It's a story that I heard from a preacher named Vadi Bakum. Maybe some of you have heard, heard him. He says, there was a man walking with his son through the strawberry patch. And the man leans over and he picks up a couple of strawberries. He eats one and gives one to his son. And his son loved the taste of these fresh strawberries. Now these were good strawberries. They were big and they were sweet. They were perfectly ripe. And they were just so good. Can't you taste it? You know what I'm talking about, right? These were perfect strawberries. But it doesn't take long for strawberries to go off, does it? And so strawberries are harvested quickly and they're taken in and they're chopped up and they're used in other foods and ice creams and foods and salads and all those things. And many of the strawberries are cooked and made into strawberry jams and preserves. And they're cooked and they're processed and mixed in with other products. And then you get into the food laboratories and the food laboratories start to try to get to the essence of the strawberry flavors. And they start to artificially develop these flavors. And eventually, mothers and fathers, they stop taking their kids to the strawberry patches. Instead, they just buy them strawberry-flavored drinks and lollies and the like. And these things don't actually have any strawberries in them whatsoever. It's just a combination of different chemicals and syrups and flavors. But the kids love the taste of the strawberry flavors. And then one day, the boy is walking through the strawberry patch, and he picks up a strawberry, and he eats it, but he doesn't like the taste of the real thing, because it doesn't taste like the strawberry flavoring that he's gotten used to. And this is what so often has happened with the gospel today. The gospel has become so watered down and mixed around and distorted that it's no longer the gospel, just like what Paul was addressing to the church in Galatians. But what the world needs more than anything today is the gospel. Today, the gospel is still being challenged within the church and from outside the church, just as it was in that first century. But we need to come to understand what the gospel is. What is the gospel? If someone came up to you today and they asked you, what's the gospel? What's your answer? Maybe some of you might say, well, the gospel is the good news that God loves you and he wants you to have a wonderful life and he has a wonderful plan for your life. Or maybe some of you might say that the gospel is that God gives you purpose in this, in this seemingly chaotic life. Now those things might be true, but they're not the gospel. Many religious and irreligious people believe in some form of God that is going to help us in our times of need to give us a better life. But God did not give us the gospel just so we could have a better life. Now, a life transformed by the gospel will be a better life. But that's not the gospel alone. Now, the word gospel in the original language means good news or good announcement. And so the first four books of the New Testament are called the, the gospels because they share the good news or the good announcement of Jesus and all that he's done for us. But the gospel itself, it's not just an announcement. 
The gospel in its truest form is the good news of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Jesus makes all the difference. Heaps of people pray to an unknown random God when they want something or they need something. There's a line in one of the Tereo Maori Kerakias that I've been learning. And the line says, let the blessings of the unknown be bestowed upon each and every one of us. But that's a prayer I cannot pray. Through the gospel, God is no longer unknown to us. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the person and the work of Jesus, has created the awesome opportunity for us to, be, to know God and to be known by Him. Jesus opens the way for us to have access to God. That's the gospel. The gospel is the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And the gospel without the person and work of Jesus is no gospel at all. I want to read for you what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In 1 Corinthians 15, he kind of gives us the essence of what the gospel is. In verse 1, he starts out by saying, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I have preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. And after that, He appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as one abnormally born. That's the gospel. That Christ died for our sins. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day. And that his resurrection was witnessed by many. That Jesus came alive from the grave. And in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is the gospel. Paul says later in chapter 15, verse 14, that if the resurrection has not happened, our preaching is useless because the gospel doesn't exist without the resurrection. And in Ephesians chapter 2, he later writes, remember at that time, before you were followers of Christ, you were separate from God and you were without hope and without God in the world before Christ. In fact, without the death, burial, and resurrection, there is no good news at all. You see, the only way to be made right with God is through the faith in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. The gospel is the good news. This is the message the world needs to hear, that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the good news. Listen to how Paul put it in his introduction to Galatians in verses 3 and 4. He says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from, this, from the present age according to the will of God our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Did you hear that? Did you hear it? He says, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us, to rescue us from this evil age. The gospel of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus rescues us from our sins and from this evil age and the evils of this age. 
Now, we all know John 3, 16, right? Many of us would know that. For God so loved the world that he gave us his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. But we often neglect to repeat verse 17 that says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Yet so often Christians, what we're doing first is condemning the world and then we're trying to share the gospel with the world. But if we're always condemning the world, who's going to want to hear the gospel? Jesus came to save people, to rescue people from their sins and from the evils of this world. And nothing else is going to do that. And even though the message we hear from the world is consistently and constantly that our faith is irrelevant, that it's not important, and it's easy for all of us to sit here and listen to this message and to gather together with other Christians, and we like to be like Peter. We like to say, God, even if I have to die for you, I'll never deny you. But what did Peter do before the sun rose? He denied Jesus three times. The message from the world is that religion is weak and for the weak. That our faith is not important. That Jesus is not relevant for today. Now many are happy to pray to God, to a random God, but not in the name of Jesus. Or that Jesus was a kind man, a wise man, but not the Savior of the world. You've heard all this before. But with all these messages coming at us, it's easy for us to let the gospel slip out of our focus. It's easy for us to go about our daily existence without the gospel ever impacting our lives. But the gospel should be our consistent and constant influence and presence in our life. And I wanted to put this in some practical sense for you. And so I'll share with you a bit of my personal story that's happened recently. You know, just before lockdown, my wife Mickey and I were able to move into a different house over in Hobsonville Point. And we just feel very blessed to be able to live there. And over the last year, we've gotten to know a lot of our neighbors. But during lockdowns, um, we would have drinks on the street with our neighbors, socially distanced, of course. But we would just stand on the street side and talk to one another. And we got to know each other. And one of the other neighbors had organized this for the whole street. And it was a great way for us to get to know people, but it's also led to us really getting to know people. And we hang out with our neighbors, some of our neighbors, and we do things together. And it's been great just to get to know them socially. In fact, I will walk with the husband often several times a week at 5.30 a.m. in the morning. And so that's a bit of a challenge for me some mornings to remember to get up and do that. But it's been great to get to know them. And I was telling Mickey, it's also been a little bit weird for me because They know that we are Christians. They know that my wife and I both work for Christian organizations. In fact, they know that I'm a pastor. So the weird part is that they still wanted to hang out in the first place. (laughs) Usually telling somebody I'm a pastor shuts down the conversation, you know. But it's also been a challenge for me. Because at first I I was trying to avoid being too Christian-y in my conversations, if you know what I mean. But you know, then I was like, hang on a second. Hang on a second. My faith in Jesus Christ is the most important thing in my life. 
And if my faith is the most important thing in my life, and if we're going to be friends, then I need to be able to share what's most important to me in my life. And so I changed how I spoke to my neighbor on our 5.30 in the morning walks. Now, it's not been dramatic. I can't report to you that I, I was able to stop on the early morning and baptize him in the ocean there. That's not happened yet. Yet. But it's led to me being more open about my Christian walk. And so we talk about things like the Bible and prayer and how thankful Mickey and I are for the fact that God gave us this house and how we pray for our kids. Now, sometimes we talk about moral and ethical dilemmas in our world, but most of the time we just talk about life. And I haven't had a chance to have an in-depth Bible study on the gospel with him, working towards that. But I have stopped feeling like I have to shy away from it. You see, I didn't want to be ashamed of the gospel in my conversations with my neighbors and my friends. Did you hear what Paul said in Galatians or in Romans chapter 1? Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Let me read for read that for you again. Paul says here that he was longing to visit the church in Rome, and he says, as an apostle. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, the righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Did you, hear, did you hear the next phrase there? I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God. It is the power of God. The power of God to bring salvation to everyone who believes. Are we ashamed of the gospel as Christians? How do we carry the gospel? Do we have so much confidence in the gospel that we take it out into the world? Or are we ashamed of the gospel? Or does the gospel shape how we live? Do we believe that the gospel is the power of God? Because the world thinks the gospel is foolishness, and the world thinks you're a fool to believe in the gospel. But the Bible tells us that the gospel is the power of God. In fact, over in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul said, The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The gospel is the good news that the world needs to hear. It is the power of God. We hold the power of God in the message, in the person, and the work of Jesus Christ. Jesus' death on the cross and burial and resurrection is the good news because by his death and his resurrection, he ushered in the power of God into the world. And he asked us to be a part of sharing the power of God with the world. Do you believe this? Do you live like you believe this? For all your friends and your family and your neighbors and your coworkers, the gospel is the power of God to bring about their salvation. 
So what do we do when we find that our child walks through the strawberry patch and no longer likes the taste of the strawberries? Well, we could do a couple of things. One is we could uh, just keep giving our children uh, the fake strawberry flavors and never take them back to the strawberry patch. Or we can stop giving our children the fake strawberry flavors and take them back to the strawberry patch again and again and again until the strawberries begin, begin to taste sweet again. I know how it is, though. We sometimes can think that surely there's more that a person needs to know, right? How's a person going to change if this is all we give them? So I ask you again, do we, do you and I believe that the gospel is the power of God that can change the world? The power of God is what changes the world. We do not change the world. I cannot change anyone, and you cannot change anyone. And we live a large part of our life hoping that we can change people. But we do not change people. A person does not change if they do not want to change and desire to change. We can try and influence them, but we do not change them. The world will only be changed through the power of God, not through the power of us. The power of God, not through the power of politics, not through the power of strong arguments. The world is never going to be changed through that stuff. And I know it's a massive temptation to try and fight the world from that perspective. But the power that we have to change the world is the gospel message because the gospel is the power of God to change the world. The gospel is the power of God to save the world from their sins and to save the world from the evils of this age. It's through the power of God, the gospel message. Will you stand with me and pray? Father, we once again stand before you, and we want to humble ourselves before you, and we want to acknowledge that sometimes, at least for me, Lord, I don't always acknowledge you as I should. But Lord, I I desire and I long to live such a life where the gospel has changed my life to the point that I want to bring that gospel to the world around me. Father, I pray that each person who hears this message will respond in that way, that we will that we will take the gospel to the world, that we will share the power that you've promised with the world. Lord, we know that it's only through you that the world will be transformed one heart at a time as people come to know you and understand the person and the work of your son, Jesus Christ, Father. Father, will you show each one of us this week someone who needs to know about you? Lord, will you give us the the, the strength from your power of their Holy Spirit to speak into their lives, Lord. Let us be co-partners with you in the work that you're doing to restore the world into yourself. Lord, show us your power in how you can transform lives. Lord, the world is always hurting and broken. Let us be your voice into a hurting and broken world, Lord. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray all things. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. 
For more of our teaching resources, or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.